bro. You need to get in on this Bitcoin bomb. Crypto, bro. Wakey, wakey, you two. What time is it? Oh, not now, Danny. Dad, you want to miss out on the crypto revolution? Well, it's crypto time, baby. I think one of the ways that I like to look at this is that it's bigger than just cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin, Ethereum, stable coins, which are ones that are not volatile in terms of traditional currencies. These are all part of the crypto ecosystem. But what we're moving towards is a world where assets are becoming digital. Welcome to Stuff Explained. I'm John O'Williams, and this week we're delving into cryptocurrencies. The collapse of the world's second largest crypto exchange has shaken confidence in the cryptocurrency market. FTX has filed for bankruptcy in the US and is estimated to owe more than $3 billion. It's billion with a B. The first digital currency, Bitcoin, was launched in 2009, and there are now thought to be more than 9,000 others. The market has made some fortunes. Others have lost millions, and many have been sucked into scams. To untangle the intrigues of this digital currency, we're joined by the head of Easy Crypto, Janine Granger. Let's go back to the very beginning. What is a cryptocurrency? Is it real money? Is it legal tender? Can I use it to buy normal things? What? Take me back to the start. Sure thing. So the first ever cryptocurrency was Bitcoin. It was um, invented in around you know the mid-2000s. And it was a way to transfer value between two people that didn't require an intermediary. So I could send money to you without needing a bank or a lawyer or a government or anyone to be in the middle of that transaction. So it's just exchange of value between two people. There's nothing you know that needs to be legalised particularly about that, but it isn't at the level of, say, the New Zealand dollar is legal tender of New Zealand. Um, Bitcoin wasn't at that level. It was just a, a more informal way to exchange value. We do now have Bitcoin as legal tender for a couple of countries. That's been an interesting development over the last few years. And we're also having you know, increasing regulation in the space to help keep people safe and make sure that there's you know, good guardrails for companies that are operating in the area. Where is it legal tender and, and how's it gone for those countries? So El Salvador made it legal tender and there was one other country, I forget whom. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting concept, right? And um, El Salvador has been doing lots of interesting tests around this in terms of, you know, giving everyone in the country Bitcoin, having wallets that the government supported. And it's really a more efficient way of doing payments. It's, you know, as an example, I have a lot of staff internationally and I tend to pay them in cryptocurrencies. I'll pay them using a cryptocurrency that's, you know, it's pegged one for one to the US dollar. So if I send them a thousand US dollars, they get exactly a thousand US dollars. They'll have it within seconds and there's no fees in that transaction at all. So that's an example of kind of the the use case of cryptocurrency, which really does solve real world problems. Amazing. So you send your staff a thousand dollars. Where actually is that money and how do they get it out to make it usable? Yeah, so there's two options there. One, so I'll send them a US dollar stablecoin. USDC is one of these. So they'll receive USDC in their wallet on their phone, and they can go and spend it directly from their phone if there are merchants or you know um, retailers that accept cryptocurrency. Or they could use it to load up a credit card, and that credit card is accepted anywhere credit cards are, so they can spend their money really anywhere. Or they could convert it back into their local currency. You know, So there's lots of options, and the stuff's very easily convertible, interchangeable. It's all quite fluid, which is a really big selling point of the industry. You mentioned a couple of other names before, but it's not just all Bitcoin, is it? There's plenty of other digital cryptocurrencies floating around. There's tens of thousands of them. Um, and I think we'll see probably a lot of consolidation over the coming years of finding out what the best ones are, which ones get the most um, you know, real-world use, the best adoption. It's still very early days, and there's lots of projects that are people are creating 
creating for different purposes and it's yeah it's a really exciting place with lots going on how do you create one could i just you know decide tomorrow i'm like i'm going to make a cryptocurrency and just do it absolutely so um there's a lot of cryptocurrencies that act as sort of a platform for others to build on so one of the most common ones is ethereum so you could create a cryptocurrency, a token that sits on top of the Ethereum network, relatively easy to spin up. There's lots of guides online. It could take you maybe half a day. And then you've got Jonocoin. Whether or not anyone wants to buy it or transact in it or use it is a different question, but technically you can do that. I mean, I can't see why they wouldn't want to trade in Jonocoin. I'm, I'm quite into this idea. I might have to um, look into that tomorrow. So we've talked a little bit about regulation already um, and the lack thereof. Traditional banking systems got lots of rules and regulations to keep people's money safe. But it seems to be that like crypto enthusiasts celebrate being outside the system. Why is that? I think there's different angles on this. One is that, from my view, we do need regulation, particularly where it comes to protecting people. So protecting people from bad investment opportunities, from people who don't have, say, I don't know, from pyramid schemes and that sort of Ponzi schemes, that sort of thing. We need the protections there. But then in terms of the rules on who can engage with the system, that's what people in crypto love is that it is fully open to everyone. There's, you don't have to go down to the bank and, you know, a lot of people in the world do not have access to banks. Physically, there are no banks around them or they don't have the right documentation, identity, et cetera, to get a bank account. Whereas cryptocurrency, if you have a mobile phone, you can get cryptocurrency. There's no barriers to entry, which is what really excites people. It's very democratic, very open, and everyone can get involved. It all seems to be really, really volatile, though, in terms of the values. You know, they, they have these massive spikes. People lose billions overnight. Like what? Mark Zuckerberg, for example? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's got the cash to spare, but as one example... Why are they so volatile and can we actually trust them when they are just bouncing around like this? It's not just crypto that's volatile, it's the financial markets in general. Cryptocurrency though does have higher than normal volatility, I think for a couple of reasons. One is that it's a relatively young market, it hasn't got that maturity, the depth of liquidity that the stock markets do. And secondly, it probably doesn't have enough regulation in terms of insider trading, market manipulation. These things are possible in crypto, whereas they're not as much in the traditional markets. But I think over time we'll iron out those and we'll have a more stable market while still, you know, obviously having price fluctuations as any supply and demand driven thing does. Who's investing in crypto? Is it just your, your tech billionaires and, and 18 year olds in their mum's basement? Who, who, who's on this platform? Everyone. So this is one of the things I've really noticed over the last five years of running Easy Crypto is how diverse our customer base is now. It did used to be skewed very heavily towards young males. Now we've got people from kids all the way up to people in their 80s investing. We've got a relatively even split of men and women on the platform and all sorts of different walks of life, ethnicities, locations. Everyone in New Zealand has the opportunity to get involved and a lot of them do. You mentioned there are people in their 80s. Now, my parents aren't quite that old, but I can only begin to imagine that if my parents started investing in crypto, they would be the lowest of low-hanging fruit for potential scammers. What do you think people need to know before they invest in crypto before, so they don't get scammed, basically? It's a really good question, and I might spend a little bit of time answering this one because yeah, there's a lot it. in here. Um, firstly, if you're investing in cryptocurrency, definitely do your own research. Think about your risk appetite, maybe get advice. Um, one thing I would say is don't put in more than you're willing to lose. It is a volatile asset, as we've talked about, um, and you want to, you know, a, a common sort of rule of thumb is maybe around 5% of your portfolio is what a lot of analysts suggest, and that's enough to perhaps have, have some exposure to potential upside, but not so much that if it does go down, you're, you know, you're going to lose the house. 
So that's sort of around, you know, your your personal um, quantum of crypto investing. But it's also really important to be aware of scams. This is a really fertile area for scammers. You know, scams have been around since forever, but with crypto, they've just got a new way of doing the same old tricks. So if you are buying cryptocurrency, make sure you buy through a registered New Zealand provider. Don't buy through offshore um, companies. There are so many you know, fake companies out there that pretend they're legitimate and they are not. So make sure your provider is registered in New Zealand. You can look that up on the DIA's website, Financial Service Providers Register. And also make sure that you know where your crypto is stored. So if you have your own wallet, that's generally the best way. You've got control of that. Or if you're going to be keeping your cryptocurrency on an exchange, make sure it's a reputable exchange, someone who's been around for a long time that has, you know, the volume to withstand any attacks. It is still a little bit new out there. It's not quite as well established as banking is. So, you know, make sure you use a New Zealand provider and make sure you know where your crypto is stored. And the last thing to add into that is that all of the same good computer security hygiene rules apply here. You know, anti-malware protection, have strong passwords. Don't give someone control over your computer via TeamViewer because they're calling from Spark or the IRD or anything like that. Just good computer security is all applicable here too. Do you think there's still that scepticism out there of this this is never going to take off? Absolutely, very much so. But again, and to me, I come back to that bigger picture view of, you know, if you take a step back, look at it from 10,000 feet, our lives are becoming increasingly digitised, right? Like, you know, the internet wasn't a big deal 20 years ago and now every single business is on the internet So if we're increasingly digitizing communication, we now have an ability to digitize value, and that's going to become a really big thing. In the future, we'll see increasing digitization of value, and things like cryptocurrencies will become more normalized. But again, it's such early days at the moment. It's very uncomfortable for people, changes in things. You know, when credit cards first came out, that was a very scary change of how you did money. And cryptocurrency is, you know, an even bigger change than that. So it will become uh, more part of everyday life, but I think it will take a while. So if you're picking it, you think this is still the next big thing in money? Absolutely. It's the future of future of assets. And that's it for this episode of Stuff Explained. I'm John O'Williams, and on behalf of producer Philippa Tolley, thanks for listening. You can find more Stuff Explained online at stuff.co.nz and make sure to like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.